They'll sing you a song It won't take long Of the fighting 69 They're a band of rape And stout and bold From Ireland they came But they had a leader To the fore Before Corinne was in name It was on the 12th day of April The lads they went away they made a sight so glorious that they marched along Broadway. They marched along Broadway, me boys, straight onto the shore. And from there they went to Washington, straight unto the war. So we gave them a hearty cheer, me boys, which is greeted with a smile. Singing ears to the boys, no fear, no noise of the fighting 69. song 
uh, the 69th Regiment. They were fighting one kind of slavery, and as a matter of fact, it's interesting, there's a very relevant quote from Abraham Lincoln, who said just before he was shot, if the American people knew what I know of the fierce hatred of the Jesuits and the priests of Rome against our sacred rights, our institutions, and our democracy, they would drive them from America as traitors. It's interesting, Mary Surratt, one of the plotters who killed Lincoln, had a Jesuit advisor. So the struggle goes on, folks, and the topic today, it's actually a report from something called the Global Alliance. For the last two months, we have gathered people who are forming common law republics in nine different countries, in Canada, America, Ireland, England, France, Italy, Holland, Australia, and New Zealand. We've been meeting regularly, Zoom calls on the weekends, to gather our forces. Our first global campaign is to help the disestablishment of the Vatican and the various Catholic churches. And today we're going to have a pre-9-11 report prior to the September 11th gathering in New York and all over the world. We're going to give you an update, kind of an overview of what's been happening. The consequences, especially the recent financial crisis going on in the Vatican, and uh, also our response to it. In the second half, we're going to listen in the midpoint area to a very informative kind of know-your-enemy lecture on the nature of the Vatican. And after that, we're going to look at other aspects, not just the obvious political issues, but our personal and our spiritual responses to it, to the disillusion of the biggest lie on the planet, the Roman Catholic Church, which, of course, isn't even a church. It's not a religion or a government. It's really the world's oldest corporation, and now the chief financial engine between the Chinese Empire, behind the Chinese Empire and its expansion and global takeover. Well, we start with this quote from Napoleon, and I think it's very relevant. He said, in every battle, there is one favorable moment. The great art is to seize it, seize the favorable moment. Well, we're in such a moment right now, friends. During September, we will be witnessing a major power grab by Jorge Bergoglio, his faction within the Vatican, and China. But a power grab that's destabilizing the whole Catholic Church and the Vatican Bank. And I want to summarize some of the events, but the best way for you to follow this is to go to our website, murderbydecree.com. If you do that right now, you'll be able to follow along and see the documents and the PDF things I'm going to be referring to. Go to murderbydecree.com, and then you'll see at the top masthead, ITCCS Updates. Now, when you go to that, you're going to see four articles in front of you, starting with breaking news, August 26th, and then uh, other descriptions there, including the statement from Indigenous elders banishing the Catholic Church from their territories, those kinds of things. I want to work through those things with you, because to give some background on everything we're talking about, well, to summarize the events, as you may or may not recall, uh, on July 23rd, just prior to Bergoglio, Pope Francis's visit to Canada, he had a special meeting in Prince Rupert with Chinese officials. And at that Prince Rupert Agreement meeting, they signed an, uh, really a, a, not so much a, a treaty, but a financial arrangement, where $780 billion, that's almost a trillion dollars, from the Vatican Bank in credit and funding would be provided to China for what's called the Road and Belt Initiative. That's the Chinese buying up of all the infrastructure all over the world. The road system, the tunnels, the ports, uh, the, the train system, all of that to, fun to funnel the world's resources to Central Asia and Beijing. 
Now, um, what was interesting, six days later, after he does this camouflage appearance in Canada, uh, ostensibly about the residential schools, right before he gets to Nunavut, which is an uh, Inuit community in Baffin Island, the council there, the city council, cancels all tax exemptions for the Catholic Church. Now, it's interesting. We have been feeding all of the city councils across Canada lots of information urging them to nullify the tax exemptions for a genocidal institution like the Catholic Church. Well, the folks in none of it, the six town council members and the mayor, did exactly that just before Bergoglio arrived. In response, the next day he's flying back to Rome, and he makes reference, and he's talking to reporters on the jet. He says, yes, it was genocide. Okay, so under international law which he's subject to, the Vatican, as a supposed member of the United Nations, subject to it, just like every other government in Canada, he had to then be prosecuted and punished. He basically opened the door for the seizure of church properties, funds, everything, as a self-admitted criminal body. It's even a law, international law, called the Transnational Criminal Organization Act of 2000. If you launder money, which they do for the mafia, if you traffic human beings, which they do, if you're involved in the arms industry and genocide, which they are, then your assets are nullified. You cannot even put money in a collection plate anymore because it's, it's funding criminal purposes. So people wonder, why did he do that? Well, very soon after that, all through August, we began to get indications of governments responding to that. And here's an example. Back in March, Nicaragua... Nicaragua expelled the Vatican papal nuncio, that's their so-called ambassador to Nicaragua, because he'd been using Vatican money to fund the political opposition there that had killed hundreds of people in protest, trying to overthrow the Nicaraguan government. So they expelled the papal nuncio. Well, during August, the Nicaraguan government reaffirms that expulsion. He said, no more ambassador from the Vatican. He's doing what we've been calling for. They're doing exactly what our movement's been working for for years, and that is cutting off diplomatic ties with the Vatican. Well, other governments are picking that up, and in fact, some of those governments are sponsoring the move by the indigenous people to send a delegation on September 11th, that's when they're doing their ceremonies, and then uh, they're going to begin a whole prayer and fasting chain around the planet, which I hope all of you will take part in, and then they're going to confront the delegates there in New York. Well, in other words, they're getting support from different delegations to the UN for this. So the question is, why did Bergoglio even say that? And the final icing on the cake here, folks, is August 23rd, and this is the latest breaking news uh, you'll find there on ITCCS updates at murderbydecree.com. August 26th, financial crisis hits the Vatican. <laughs> the, uh, believe it or not, and I'm sure you will believe it. We got a uh, leak about this the day before it happened, and this was confirmed in the Catholic, uh, various Catholic newspapers that you can see. Uh, the Catholic uh, News Reporter and um, CatholicWorldReport.com. You can see this uh, on August 23rd, this description. Basically, here's what Bergoglio did. He ordered that all of the money all over the world in the Catholic Church had to be sent to the Vatican Bank no later than September 30th. So they're emptying the banks. Now, of course, this is what they do when you're facing criminal prosecution. You hide the assets. The Catholic, Anglican, and United Churches did this all over Canada when the residential school lawsuits began back in 96 that I 
was very happy to take part in, um, they immediately hid their assets. They moved out of their big offices, and they buried it all. That's what you do. Lawyers say, hide your assets if you're going to be sued. Well, that's exactly what Bergoglio is doing. And uh, order came out, and you can see this. We posted it in that article online that I cited um, at that site. They have ordered the all the funds to go into the IOR, that's Italian for um, the Vatican Bank, no later than September 30th. Well, what's behind all that? We've been digging deeply into all of our sources in Rome and around the world, and it turns out that that is a result of pressure from China, because, of course, they've just been promised a billion dollars from the Vatican Bank. They don't want to see that frittered away in lawsuits now that people, not only lawsuits, but people can seize the church properties and wealth. We're all lawfully obligated, not just empowered, but obligated to do that, to stop this criminal organization. So China, our theory is, and it's being backed up with more and more evidence every day, China pressured Bergoglio to say, to simply call in all the funds and put it all in the Vatican Bank to assure their trillion-dollar credit and loan. Well, the problem with doing that is it creates a complete crisis in the Catholic Church, and it feeds what's really kind of like another Reformation going on. Because if you recall, what led to the Reformation of 1517, throughout the Middle Ages there was two popes, three popes, there was constant faction fights in the Vatican, and it fueled the movement to split away from the Vatican and form the Protestant churches, the Protestant Reformation. The same thing is happening today. You have two permanent factions around Ratzinger, the old pro-Western cardinals and Ratzinger, and Bergoglio, the New World Order Pope, who's very oriented to China, to the BRICS alliance. That's why Joe Biden was on his hands and knees in Rome, pleading him not to leave the Western alliance. No, that same faction is existing now, and it's ripping the church apart. Now, the good thing about this, they may have their plans. What it's done is created an enormous historical opportunity for all of the people in the world who have ever been harmed by this institution, by this corporatocracy. And it's interesting because the Vatican actually laid the basis for the corporatocracy in the 1920s and 30s, because they were behind the creation of the fascist state in Italy and the Nazi state in Germany. Corporatism, the system you see today in the world, was pioneered by the Vatican. That's why the present Vatican Bank was created by Mussolini when it came to power in 1929. You see, scratching each other's backs, they create this thing called the corporatocracy. Well, the, um, they have their plan. They're going ahead, the Rome-Beijing access, kind of like the Rome-Berlin access in 1933. But it's being disrupted by the fact that now we can go after them in a huge way, even according to the laws of the system. And so it's created that opening, an amazing opening. It's also proved something we've known all along, and this is an amazing lesson I hope you all circulate and take to heart. You pressure them financially, and they buckle. They're the biggest corporate institution on the planet and the oldest one, and yet we start getting city councils to nullify tax exemptions, and they panic, and they do this. You know, they had to do that, and now they're trying to spin it to their advantage by putting all the funds at China's disposal. But the point is... You press them where they're vulnerable, like Sun Tzu says in The Art of War. Strike your enemy where they're vulnerable, which is their public image and their money, and they start collapsing. So, folks, this is an example of the power in our hands. Our effectiveness in aiming at that has been proven once again. So now we talk about the consequences. Okay. It, it not only followed from our actions, but it has totally opened up an awareness 
in humanity that didn't exist before. And we see this happening more and more. That government in Nicaragua would not, would not have expelled the papal nuncio, which was kind of like a verboten thing to do before that, unless this campaign of ours is having an effect, just like it did when it forced Ratzinger out of office in 2013. But what's happened now is far more weighty than the resignation of one pope. It threatens their whole global system, the Vatican-China global alliance, which is increasingly dominating the world. It's all threatened now by this. So this is an amazing opportunity. Now, we have four responses to this. I mentioned already the Republic Alliance. These uh, republics forming in nine countries now, and today I just heard that Denmark, Spain, and Poland all want to get on board too. That's a dozen countries now. They've done exactly what we did in Canada. We, they're establishing their own declaration of independence. They're breaking from the system. They're setting up their own common law assemblies and Congress or uh, Parliament based on that. And they're declaring independence from the system under their own citizenship. Now, that alliance will be coordinating this global campaign against the Vatican and the corporatocracy in China. And that's, you know, one of the, the weapons that we now have. We've gone across borders like we did during the campaign to expose the residential school genocide and crimes against children by the Vatican and its allied churches. We went internationally. We set up the International Tribunal of Crimes of Church and State in Dublin in 2010. We realized that survivors had to be united across borders because that's the corporate institution we're facing, a multinational criminal power called the Catholic Church. Well, in the same way now, with much greater uh, things at stake, we have to do the same thing, and that's the purpose of the Republic Alliance. Now, if you want to be involved in that and you're forming or have formed your own Republic Assemblies, in whatever country uh, you're in listening to this, contact us, Republic National Council, at protonmail.com, and you can be involved in these Saturday Zoom calls. Kind of a challenge because we have to uh, span the calls between 6 in the morning and 10 p.m. at night to take in everybody from Canada to uh, Australia and New Zealand, but it's worth it. We're making the, the energy there on our calls is, is amazing, just the, the confidence people have seeing each other and working across borders, realizing we are a growing international movement. That's the first thing, the Republic Alliance. Second thing is actions on the ground. Like I say, they're starting up September 11th on a Sunday. Wherever you are, take actions at churches. Now, if you look at murderbydecree.com under ITCCS updates, you'll see those four articles I mentioned. And um, if you go to them, you'll see... uh, the article on the right, defund and disestablish the Church of Rome with these two weapons. One of the weapons is a, is a motion, a sample motion to take to your town council saying we de- insist that the tax exemptions to the Catholic Church be nullified in our communities. Otherwise, we're funding child rape, child trafficking, the murder of children, and a proven self-admitted genocidal body. So that's uh, one of the things. The other is our book. A dethroning a rogue power, which we put up there as a PDF. You can run it off for free instead of paying 10 bucks to Amazon. Um, and it's also on that side, too. Run off the book. It's necessary knowledge you need to confront these churches. But we're organizing other things, church occupations. We've already started seizures of churches in conjunction with nine di- indigenous nations in Canada who have already banished the Catholic Church from their territories. That's beneath that article. Turowampum Pelagonshi proclamation of banishment and confiscation. Native people are now seizing Catholic churches and the land that was stolen from them over centuries. And one of the advantages I have is that I was made fiduciary officer of Chief Capilano 
traditional Squamish elder as far back as 2008, filed in the B.C. Supreme Court. And that gave me the legal right of entry into these churches to seize them. And that was interesting, because if you remember from our history, when we held these church occupations and protests, we were never touched by the police. Remember how I mentioned to some of you, they would show up but never arrest us, never intervene? That's because they knew it was lawful. I had been made the legal officer of Chief Capilano, who owned all of the land in Vancouver, traditionally. And I was his legal agent with the right of entry. That's why I was never arrested. We even used their laws against them. But the thing is, fear and stands in the way. We don't know these things, and there's a psychological barrier to confront this oldest institution, and I say satanic institution in history. A lot of brainwashing to overcome about that so-called church, but it shows you that these laws can work to our advantage. And our own laws, we passed our, um, what's called the Public Reparations Law in Premonire, which expropriated and nullified the Church of Rome in every country in the world. It's a universal lien on all Catholic churches. You can see all of that at that site, murderbydecree.com, ITCCS updates. Please examine those latest four articles. It gives you all of that necessary knowledge. And Actions on the ground. Third one, of course, is the expulsion from the UN, and that's building steam as we speak. And uh, there'll be more news about that, especially next week and in the Sundays that follow. We're also going to be posting a lot of stuff on the YouTube, if it lasts, uh, since they, of course, are owned by GlaxoSmithKline, the uh, big pharma company. But we have our other media platforms. This will be getting out all through September and October and beyond. And fourthly, of course, is building the alternative for people. Honest people who are imprisoned within the Catholic Church, you know, brainwashing or whatever. We are creating alternatives for people. We're working with a group in Ireland that started up years ago of present and former Catholic priests who are splitting away from the Church. They're trying to set up their own independent Church, broken ties from the um, uh, from Rome keeping their funds away from the Vatican Bank. That's a movement that started in Ireland. It was called Not In Our Name by Catholic priests. It spread to other countries. We haven't talked a lot about it because of the threats posed to priests who get involved. But this is another, like I mentioned, a second Reformation starting. This church is splitting with great global consequences. Great hope for all of us all over the planet because of that. Those are our four tools we'll be using. I urge you to study that. Contact us for Public National Council at ProtonMail.com. And another book we rely on, uh, The Case of the Pope by Jeffrey Robertson, an English lawyer who's laid out very well why the Vatican has to be expelled from the United Nations. It's not a state. It got in there illegally uh, in 1966. It basically invited itself into the U.N. It doesn't have anything but observer status, and yet it gets to sit on U.N. committees and block human rights conventions and do all sorts of other criminal activities. So it shouldn't even be in there in the General Assembly under the laws of the U.N. All of that's laid out in Robertson's book. You can read that, dethroning a rogue power and all of that, right to us, Republic National Council at ProtonMail.com. Now I'm going to rest my weary voice, and uh, we're going to listen to a lecture that some of you may have heard, but this is for newcomers. It's a very informative lecture. I was to give at Oxford University in 2016, but of course it got stopped at the last minute, um, about the nature of the beast. Know your enemy, says Sun Tzu. Know what you're up against. This lecture for the next 20 minutes will describe to you the nature of, of the beast, the so-called Catholic Church, and um, after that we'll be back with more. Enjoy. We'll be back soon. 
Good evening, I'm Kevin Annett, and tonight I'm going to give you a lecture that I was to present to the Oxford Union, which is the oldest debating society in the world. In April 2016, I was invited to come there in Oxford University in England and debate a cleric of the Catholic Church over the issue. Uh, funnily enough, the topic was, is there any good in the Roman Catholic Church? Well, as so often happens on these occasions, the invitation to me was unexplainably withdrawn about two weeks before the event, and the debate between me and him never happened. So I thought it would be good to post online for the world to see exactly what I was going to say that night. Good evening. Let me begin by saying what a pleasant surprise it is to be able to join you all here tonight. The last time I tried to give a public talk in England, at a London rally to protest child trafficking by church and state, your privately run UK border agency saw fit to arrest, fingerprint, jail me, and then finally deport me from your country without giving a reason at all. So be that as it may, and it usually is, I especially want to thank you for having me here tonight, having the courage to have me here tonight. Tonight's topic for debate is framed rather tellingly. Is there any good in the Roman Catholic Church? And assumingly by that is meant its holding company, the Vatican Incorporated. Well, the very wording of the subject is interesting because it implies that no, there isn't any good at all. Let's search for some. Of course, trying to locate integrity in a corporation is like looking for love in a brothel. So perhaps the question of tonight's debate's already been answered. My job's done, we can all go home. In any event, the title of the main event tonight is a bit confusing, beginning with the term good, which is, after all, a completely relative and morally ambiguous term. The Spanish conquistadors and their slaughter-blessing Catholic priests thought that they were doing good when they wiped out millions of non-Catholic people for their own good. The Vatican's Inquisition that barbecued and tortured to death Christians who disagreed with Rome was officially entitled an auto de fe, which means act of faith. Even the present so-called liberal Pope Francis, Jorge Bagaglio, speaks of the goodness and zeal of the Franciscan missionaries who worked to death thousands of Aboriginal men, women, and children on Catholic slave plantations in California. Well, some things never change. Bergoglio also recently pardoned some 10,000 of his own child-raping priests, no doubt in the same spirit of doing good, at least good for his own institution. Human beings, especially when goaded on and justified by religion, always adorn their crimes in a halo of goodness. I've had personal experience of what I speak about. For over 20 years in Canada, I've lived and worked and documented the, alongside these folks who have lived through the story, the reality of genocide in Canada, perpetrated mostly by Catholic-run Indian residential schools, where over 60,000 children died. Half of these children never came back because of, at the hands of the priests and nuns, they were ritually tortured, routinely starved, trafficked, experimented upon, flogged, gang-raped, and killed en masse with smallpox and tuberculosis. Not one Catholic priest has ever gone to trial for any of these crimes, nor will they. These killers are above the law as it stands now. And having had the misfortune of speaking with enough of these scum, I know that these complicit clergy are still convinced that they were only trying to do good to the little brown savages by killing their bodies to save their souls, to quote their buddy Thomas Aquinas, one of the founding theologians of the Catholic Church. 
So perhaps what we need to do is redefine the term good in a better way. Using this simple definition, to do good means to do no harm to others and to let them be themselves. Of course, under that definition, you immediately disqualify the and condemn the Roman Catholic Church, which has killed more people than any institution in human history. The Church of Rome's body count is well over 50 million corpses, ever since it was made a legal corporation by the Emperor Constantine in the year 317. All right, all right, that may all be true, sputtered the defenders of Rome. So nobody's perfect. But look at all the charitable works the Church does all the time. Isn't that good? Well, in that sense, perhaps tonight's topic for debate should have been entitled instead, Was There Any Good in Pablo Escobar, the head of the criminal syndicate known as the Medellin Drug Cartel? Because Pablo engaged in lots of charitable good works for the poor folks of Colombia. Just like the Roman Catholic Church, of which he was a dues-paying member, Pablo used his ill-gotten loot to build shelters for the homeless, playgrounds for some slum kids, and soup kitchens for the hungry. Of course, that charitable money was covered in blood and paid for by the early deaths from drug addiction of the very same people he was helping, but still, he was doing some good, wasn't he? Now, my analogy between Pablo Escobar and the Vatican is more than fitting, since not only are they members of the same club, but also the Vatican Bank is heavily invested in the international drug cartels as well as the arms and human trafficking industries that go along with it. GMO companies, Big Pharma, the biggest small arms company in the world, Beretta Limited, even dozens of online internet porn companies, all of these 100% Vatican investments pay for the goodies doled out to those deserving poor people who kiss the claw that feeds them. But let's take on directly the suggestion that the Roman Catholic Church, as the world's richest and least accountable corporation, plays a major role in providing charitable sustenance to the world's needy. Let's ask, what percentage of the church's annual revenue actually goes towards charitable works? Well, it's an important question, not only for the debate tonight, but because the only legal basis for the church to be exempt from paying taxes under the law of nations is that they must devote all, not some, but all, of their collected revenue for either the advancement of religion or charitable works. Well, right there, you cannot go to the Roman Catholic Church unless someone wants to explain what money laundering for the mafia, buying cruise missiles for third world dictators, or issuing routine bribes to politicians and governments all over the world have to do with either religion or charity. What percentage of the Catholic Church's revenue goes towards charity? Actually, less than 1%, at least in America. For, tellingly, that's the only country in the world where the Church consistently publishes any of its financial records. After all, the Vatican is a closed, self-governing, totally unaccountable body, like any secret criminal society. But that inconvenient, lingering notion of a separation of Church and State found in the American Constitution requires that even the Catholic Church has to create an appearance of transparency. And so, according to the U.S. government, in the year 2013, the Roman Catholic Church in America had a net revenue of $13.4 billion. And that's just in one country, where only about 15% of the world's Catholics live. By projection, the annual income of the Vatican must be in the hundreds of billions of dollars, not just from all those collection plates, from those saps, from its, but also from its massive global investment portfolio and its secret financial concordat agreements with over 100 governments, that channel a regular percentage of your tax money into the Vatican Bank and all of its criminal behavior. 
But coming back to America, the one country where a light is shone on the murky underworld of Vatican finances, according to the same self-audit of the Catholic Church, of the $13.4 billion raked in during 2013, only 1.1% of it went to charity. But since half of that amount came from government grants to Catholic aid societies, in reality, a whopping 0.6% of the income went from the bank accounts into charities. But since those charities are mostly owned and operated by the church itself, it just means that one hand of the octopus is feeding the other. Quite brilliant, don't you think? One half of 1%, friends. The truth is that the Roman Catholic Church is not a force for charitable works. Just look at the books. It's, in fact, a huge criminal racket, a money-sucking corporation that kept afloat by every taxpayer in the world. Okay, so let's turn to the other basis for the church not paying a dime of taxes, the advancement of religion. What percentage of its time and money goes towards advancing its particular, and I might say extremely violent, religious creed? Less than 10%. That's the time each week a priest spends conducting prayers, masses, or catechism classes, according to the church itself, according to a statement from the Vatican's governing College of Cardinals, who in 2014 issued an internal report concerning the training and ordination of its priests. The main job of the clergy, according to the cardinals, is the material and social upkeep of the church, guarding the building, the safeguard of its traditions and operations, and the expansion of its income and membership. Like in any big corporation, somebody somewhere tell me where God, let alone Jesus Christ, enters into that whole mess. Okay, strike two. In case you didn't know, that's a baseball term. I don't play cricket. The third and final strike against the Roman Catholic Church, and you've got to watch out that for that term because the word Catholic means universal, which it is not. The final strike against the Catholic Church lies in its real and not imagined nature. Once its enormous pretense and lie is pulled back and we see it for what it is historically and today. But to do so and to pierce the mental fog surrounding the Vatican Incorporated, we have to realize that the papacy is not a Christian church at all. On the contrary, it is in every respect a cult of emperor worship derived from late 3rd century Rome, not from the historic Jesus, not even from the early Christian church. This fact is crucial if we are to deal with the mental confusion of many people, atheists included, who ponder helplessly, but how can a body that preaches about the love of Jesus cause mass murder, genocide, and institutionalized child rape? Of course, the simple answer to that is that it's always the worst child rapist in town who has the most sterling reputation. The latter is needed as a cloak by any crook. The bigger the felony, the sweeter the coating. Talk, my friends, is easy, especially from a pulpit. But let's not forget what Jesus himself warned. Quote, Many false prophets will come in my name and say, I am the Christ. But do not be fooled. By their works you shall know them. Bingo, by their works you shall know them. Well, we can see the works of the papacy all too well. Conquest, brutality, just wars, genocide, inquisition, and the crushing of the human spirit. And it all began when the Roman emperors Aurelian and Constantine created the Roman Catholic Church on the murdered bones of the early Christian Church. The Church was an extension and continuation of that other big killing machine called the Roman Empire. Proof of this you don't have to look any further than the Pope's official title, which is Pontifex Maximus, which in Latin means the Great Bridge, between guess where? Heaven and Earth. That was the Latin title of the emperors of Rome, 
starting with Aurelian in the year 275, who also assumed the title Dies et Dominus, means God and Master. One man who's become God. Well, first that was the emperor, but now today to a Catholic, it's the Pope. Christ is no longer the link to God, but a man is. Elected and elevated blasphemously over humanity, even over God, by other old men in funny hats. Well, not surprisingly, every newly elected Pope is also given the title Vicari Christi, which is even more blatant. In Latin, it means the replacement of Christ, the one who replaces Christ. In black and white, it's right there. Catholicism, papism, is the replacement of Christianity, an empire of conquest and wealth relying on the means of the world and not the way of Christ. Just look at the body count. And listen to these admissions of guilt right from the horse's mouth, or I should say ass, statements from various popes down the centuries that have never been contradicted or repudiated by any of their successors. Pope Boniface in 1302, we declare it is necessary for every human creature to be subject to the Roman pontiff. Pope Leo in 1520, the Pope is Christ himself on earth. Pope Pius in 1929, Fascism is simply the doctrines of our faith made the law and government. Pope John in 1962. No man may enter into Christ unless he be led there by the sovereign pontiff. Pope John Paul in 1996. Have no fear when men call me Christ on earth, for I am he. Pope Benedict in 2008. You need not go to Christ for salvation. Come to me. Pope Francis in 2016, Christ made himself sin, made himself the devil, that's new, for our salvation. Only the church and its magisterium can claim holy infallibility. Have you had enough? I know I have. Well, is it any wonder that such a power-obsessed, megalomaniac religion makes itself unaccountable, sees nothing with its crimes, and uses the image and words of Christ himself to delude and soak its millions of dupe followers to believe that a bit of a communion wafer or a papal blessing or the right amount of cash delivered into church coffers will buy the way into heaven, as if one can. Well, unfortunately, I saw it for myself when I was last in Rome in 2011. Right there in the Vatican Museum, a display board for buying indulgences, just like out of Martin Luther's day. Special papal blessings cost you only 150 euros. The more you spend, the closer you get to heaven. Although, be warned, apparently, according to the sign, apparently God prefers credit cards to cash. How right when Pope Leo in 1520 said, This myth of Christ has served us well. Well, the most dangerous group in the world is a super wealthy cult that sees itself as God, superior to everyone, and therefore justified in doing whatever is needed to protect itself and rule the world. A cult, in other words, like the Church of Rome. What other, what other being than a cult can operate according to a criminal policy like Crimin Solicitanus, which has been binding on all Catholics since the year 1929? That policy states that whenever a child is raped or otherwise harmed by a priest, the police are not to be told, the victim is to be silenced, and if anyone speaks of this, they are excommunicated, thrown into hell for snitching on a rapist. Clearly, the god of Rome, like the Mafia, cannot tolerate a snitch. Better instead to operate under a global criminal conspiracy to aid and abet child rapists and killers than to cost the church a lawsuit or save a child's life. Heaven forbid.
And yet, despite all of this criminal arrangement, the world keeps wondering why there's so much child rape within the Church of Rome. Are we all that blind? Do we really think a lion isn't going to eat a gazelle? Well, John Acton, a British politician, said, Absolute power corrupts absolutely. He was referring to the Church of Rome when he made that statement, something conveniently left out of the history books. The Church of Rome is absolutely corrupt, but it also corrupts whoever is near to it, like all who attend it, who fund it, who associate with it, or rent its halls, or smile on its policies, or look the other way at all its public relations gestures. All who do so partake in that corruption. And under the law of God and mankind, those human accessories are equally guilty of all its crimes. The only good that can be said to come out of this most violent, corrupt, and anti-Christ body in history is how its evil awakens people to the need for a return to the simple words, witness, and spirit of Jesus himself, a spirit that has always been the chief adversary of the Church of Rome. Jesus founded a community of called-out people, a remnant not of this world, a congregation, not a church. Nowhere did Jesus speak of popes, of bishops, of rituals and ceremonies by which someone would mediate him and God to others. He said that the kingdom of heaven lay inside each of us, not outside in a communion wafer or a religious ritual. That inner kingdom of Christ alone is the guide of all true Christians, who must come out from and be separate from all these vile, false and violent churches that deny God in practice and kill children in practice. And that's the task of any deluded soul still caught in the fatal grip of Rome and its blasphemous illusions and depravities. As America's founding father said, we hold this truth to be self-evident. And one of those men, the second U.S. president, John Adams, said, quote, A free government and the Roman Catholic religion can never exist together in any nation or country. Liberty and popery are opposed, unquote. The nature of an ancient corporate evil like the Church of Rome does not change over time. It simply alters its appearance because it comes out of the dark ruler of this world, the one whom Jesus said, He is a lie from the beginning, for he is the father of lies. Satan. It's a good thing to free ourselves from a lie as huge as Roman Catholicism and as criminal. As free-born men and women, we are made for the truth, and when we recognize it, our hearts and our minds breathe freely and we return to our natural sense of liberty and independence. From that place of freedom, we are empowered to take action to stop criminals in every high place, whether they be popes or presidents or prime ministers. For we, the people, are the source of all sovereignty, of government, of law, and of religion. We can and must stop and arrest and confine child-raping priests when the police and courts refuse to do so. We can and must shut down the churches that traffic children and have hidden their crimes over centuries, like the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church of England, the United Church of Canada, all of these criminal bodies. For the life of one child is more sacred than all the fanfare and rituals of any church anywhere. Well, Jesus had his own prescription for child killers. He said, Whoever would harm one of these innocent ones should have a millstone placed around his neck and be thrown into the sea. Well, I wonder what Jesus would say about an entire institution that mocks God, murders with impunity, rapes and murders children, and protects those who do so. Is there a millstone that is big enough to sink such an institution? Yes, there is. It is we, the people. I thank you. And we're back. Well, I guess you can see now why they canceled the, uh, that lecture I was to give. <laughs> so, I mean, here's the thing. In the 10 minutes or 15 minutes we have left, I wanted to just... 
speak a bit personally. Of course, it's all been personal up till now, but I mean more intentionally personal. You know, people know these things, they know the crimes, and yet they keep going to church. They keep turning the other way, they keep wondering, well, what does that have to do with me, and how can we take on something this big? And I don't want to offend my neighbors, the McNallys, who are taking their kids to First Communion. The crime is so institutionalized and normalized among us that we not only help it along, but we don't see anything wrong anymore with it. We found that in Canada, Canada. Genocide is so normalized that it's not considered a crime anymore, and that's the nature of this thing we're in. It's like being in this big machine that's running roughshod over the planet and innocent people. We're comfortable inside the machine, and we say, personally, I'm not doing anything wrong, but we're part of something that's not just murderous, but against God, against creation, against a natural order. Now, you have might have noticed over the years that I don't talk about God much. I don't use the G word because I don't think you can put a word on the mystery. And I'm like some of my indigenous friends and relatives that way. But after I was thrown out of the church and had my whole life destroyed and seen my children taken from me, I didn't want to use the language. It seemed like such an abomination, the people who were doing all these crimes, getting up every day and talking about crime. I thought, look, we need a whole new language. It's an, an offense against Christ to even mention this word in relation to these people. But I've come around on that, and I've realized that there is a new language developing in my heart about this. And I'm going to be speaking from that new place in me more and more. Because ultimately, this is not just personal and political, it's spiritual. And by that, I mean the totality of all that we are. You know, this whole dogma about Jesus, is he uh, fully human or fully divine? Well, the point is, when you're fully human, you are fully divine. You have that divinity within us. We don't need a church or somebody else to tell us that. We all know that inherently. It's a matter of getting people to access that inherency within themselves and lead by example. Now, I know a lot of you out there might be agreeing or disagreeing with me. That's good. But the point is now everything is on the line because that machine that started 2,000 years ago in Rome and has corporatized the whole planet is now threatening all of our existence. We saw that in the COVID police state. One of the big pushers of that was China and its Vatican funders and the big pharma agencies that are behind the whole COVID police state. It's all coming together now, and the aim is nothing less than the extermination of the human mind and the human race. We are facing payback and blowback of the system we have helped create and maintain. So it's a time of judgment, very much. That old system has to come down. But any part of us that is in that system is going to come down with it. That's what judgment means. The judgment is first aimed at ourselves. If you want to look at the enemy, look first in the mirror. And once we're able to do that, then we can find our power, because it's only when you're in denial. And this is what slaves and victims do. They blame somebody else. I wouldn't be like this if it wasn't for that person or that situation. You go around your whole life living as a victim. But when you say, no, I am the architect of my own fate, you know, I made choices in my life, and I'm part of the problem. I'm not part of a solution. I am part of the problem. When you're able to have the courage and clarity to do that, then you can own it. Then you can own yourselves, and then you can step away from it. But a victim can never step away from anything. All they can do is keep feet in the system. So it's that first inner step that's so hard, and that's why most people drop away from our movement, because I see this time and again. 
people get involved in assemblies, they say, let's pass laws, but then when it comes to enforcing them, they can't do it because it real, they realize it means breaking from the thing that they're really a part of, and they don't want to. There's too many comforts. They still have too much invested, as every one of you do. It's only when the system comes down that we can start to change. That's why we, we prepare for that moment of collapse, and it's coming. We're not trying to stop that collapse. And that's the thing I need to explain to people all the time. We're not trying to shore up the old system. We are creating something new to replace it. But you're not creating something new if you haven't undergone that inner death. And it is a death. And when I hear people confidently in our uh, you know, Zoom calls and that talking about, well, we're building up a new system, well, you're probably going to just replicate the old unless you've had that inner change. I love that quote from uh, Mahindas Gandhi when he said, unless we first have spiritual independence... We will never have political independence from the British Empire. And sure enough, in India, they didn't follow that example of interchange and inner death and inner rebirth, and so they just end up replicating it. That's what will happen in our republics, unless we have that inner break. You can't order that for somebody. You can't teach them how to do it. They can only go through it themselves. If you've got the courage to go through that fire, and there's some of us who have, but we don't have a language yet that you can hear. I'm trying to impart some of that today, but it's a personal thing that you each have to go through. So um, that is kind of the, the uh, message. If you look at one of my other books, it's called Here We Stand, Summoning God's People in a Time of Judgment. That's online at Amazon, but we're going to put up the PDF for it as well, because we're not here to make money. We're here to change and overturn and recreate. And in that, it's really a model for when you meet people in the church who are still in prison. They say, well, what are we going to do on Sundays if we don't have the church? Leave it. Do not be connected to darkness anymore. Come out from them and be separate, as it said in Second Corinthians 6. Come out from them and be separate. Now is the time of spiritual, political, and personal separation. That's what happens when cells grow. They have to separate. Division is great when it's creating something new out of the old. So don't worry about causing division. That's one of the big sins in Canada. Oh, you're dividing the congregation. You're dividing people. Well, what's wrong with that? Separate dark from light, folks. That is contained in the book. I urge you to get it. We're going to have more reflections on that uh, in the weeks ahead because it's arming people spiritually as well. Now, to summarize on the last few minutes, we'll get into that more, and I welcome your comments. Write to me, angelfire101 at protonmail.com, even though few of you ever do. Uh, pro, uh, the other email, of course, to write to get involved with the campaign is Republic National Council at ProtonMail.com. But to summarize, September 11th actions, a fast and prayer chain that's going to begin that day, actions at your churches, occupations, banishing, as many of you can even lawfully go in and take the money out of the collection plate. Don't do it as an individual. Go in as a group. We've done this. It's fantastically empowering. You say, this money is being used for criminal purposes. You gather homeless and poor people outside the church, and you hand it out to them. That's, of course, what Jesus would have done. That's what he did when he cleansed the temple. Let's do it ourselves, folks. Get all the homeless and poor people together and have a opening up of those churches. Open them up as centers for the homeless. Have them start sleeping in there and take the money and distribute it to them, as Jesus did. And, of course, that got him crucified, but that was the way to a new life for him and all of us, right? Let's embrace that next step, folks. September 11th is when it begins. 
Also, stop paying federal taxes to your government because they're aiding and abetting that criminal action by allowing the Catholic Church to have tax-exempt status. Take that motion you see at murderbydecree.com under ITCCS updates. Take it to your town council. Get them to pass it and act now because we have this opening during September, and it's going to close after that. We all need to act right now. And uh, once again, of course, read murderbydecree.com republicofcanada.org to be involved in our Republic Alliance Zoom calls on Saturdays. Write to Republic National Council at protonmail.com if you're in any of these nations, Canada, America, Ireland, England, France, Italy, Holland, Australia, New Zealand, Denmark, Spain, and Poland. And if you're not in those nations, write to us anyway. We can start a Republic movement in your country. Finally, as I think I mentioned already, angelfire101 at protomail.com. Write to me. I got a really interesting death threat the other day from an irate papist who uh, said he was going to come over and kill me once he finds out where I am. Well, this is not surprising. We used to get that reaction when we especially picketed the Catholic churches. We were spat on. People attacked us, especially if we were native. Um, They ripped up our leaflets. Catholics are especially violent, and it's no doubt because of their looking at that tortured and crucified guy on the cross in front of them every day that does that. It kind of feeds that psychotic, violent mentality. Well, we're here to get people out of that, to liberate them from themselves and that murderous and condemned institution that is coming down. The Church of Rome, the oldest crime on the planet and the biggest abomination we've ever faced, people. So, that's the show for today. We're going to end on a really interesting song. It's, it was written during the World War II, the Italian resistance. It's called Bella Ciao. It's an adaptation from that song, but it's going out to our Republic members in Italy who are right in the forefront of building common law courts there. We are announcing a third case for the International Common Law Court of Justice. They're an integral part of that. So this is going out to our Italian brothers and sisters. Take heart. Next week, September 4th, on the show, we will have members of the Republic Alliance showing up to share lots of what I've been talking about today, how they're going to disestablish the Catholic Church in their country as part of this global alliance movement. Stay strong. Stay clear. Here's the song. Write to us, Republic National Council at protonmail.com. We'll be back next week. Uh, Thank you. Uh